So Luke 18, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I should tell you. He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We pray that our hearts be open to receiving them. We pray that my mouth be honoring of them. In your name we pray. Amen. So, my name is James. I'm the pastor here. We are very, very welcome. We are very welcome. You are welcome, and we're welcome. We're all welcome to be here. It's really good to be here. This evening, I'm a bit distracted because this evening I'm taking part of an, an Ask the Pastor question and answer thing at Awana, which is a, a youth club that is run out of the church. I thought it was like Ask the Pastors, but it, uh, pastors, but it turns out I'm the only one, so it's just me. Uh, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you know, they're like seven. It'll be fine. I've got a theology degree. I know what I'm doing. So here are some of the questions that I've had in advance for Ask the Pastor. Cassidy asks me this, this simple question. Why was Satan not content in heaven? <laughs> I don't know, Cassidy. Like, that's, a, that's a massively complex question with like so much, so much going on. I don't even know where to begin. That's that's okay. Uh, Ariel has has one that's not much better. How can you tell the difference between God's voice, Satan's voice, and your inside voice? I wish I knew, Ariel. <laughs> Wouldn't that make life easier? Uh, Esther goes on something of a, a different attack and says, "Why do people have names?" I don't know. Like, <laughs> this, uh, like, there's so many questions like this, and I don't know the answers to any. Fortunately, Karis. Karis is now my favorite person in the entire world because Karis asked this question: Do you like mushrooms? <laughs> God bless you, Karis, for giving me one question I can actually answer this evening. How good of her! <laughs> so. We've been working through our series on the parables of Jesus, which has been a really fun time. And we've got two weeks left. This week, I'm speaking on the parable, the unjust judge and the persistent widow. Next week, Jeff is preaching on the tax collector and the Pharisee in their prayers. Uh, And they actually follow each other in the Bible, which is quite fun. I'm going to confess that To be honest with you, I wasn't really looking forward to preaching on this. There are some parables that kind of preach themselves and prepare themselves, and there's some parables that require a whole lot more research and understanding and homework, and I kept on hoping that someone else would do it, Uh, but then I was like, James, you're the pastor. You're supposed to be the one doing this hard work, so I decided I would because this is one of those parables, I think, that we, like those darling children from Awana, have questions about, right? Like, what? is going 
on here. And I think this is often the case when we read our Bible. I Fortunately, because of my job, I get to read the Bible for fun and for work. So I read a lot of Bible in the week, and quite regularly I come across stuff that I'm like, why is this in here? I don't understand. Some of it is a lot more easy to grasp, and some of it is a little bit harder, and that's okay. And so when I was reading this, what's going on here? And Some of the Bible, you know, we read like Leviticus. I've been going through Leviticus right now because I'm reading it in chronological order. And I'm sure we've all read, when we've read Leviticus, have felt, why is is Leviticus in here? This is hard work. I know a lot more about bodily fluids than like I want to. And and what we do when bodily fluids end up where they shouldn't. Uh, But we can kind of dismiss it and say, well, that's Leviticus. It was a long time ago. And then Jesus comes along and and fixes those bits that are maybe more confusing for us. Uh, But this gets even more difficult when Jesus says stuff that we're like, okay, what are you trying to say here? This is a bit more confusing. And I think the unjust judge is one of those examples of this. And we, like those who want our children, have those questions. Like, what's going on here? I think of all of Jesus' parables, this is probably the one that makes some of the least sense from just reading it outright. Because we ask questions like, well, is, wait, is God the judge? Is God an unjust judge? That, that can't be the point. That doesn't seem right. Are we supposed to all be widows? Like, who, who is who in this scenario? But I think, actually, Jesus is really trying to make just one point throughout this, that we should keep praying. But to really understand that, we've got to explore this parable more. And this is one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I'll give you my quick Sunday school understanding of the parable, The Unjust Judge, which is there's a woman and she's helpless and sad and there's a mean judge, but she keeps on asking and asking. And eventually the judge like, has a change of heart and goes, you know what, okay, you can get what you want. And that's why we should keep praying because if we just like, keep on battering God, eventually we'll convince him that our prayers are worth listening to. But that doesn't... That brings with it a lot of questions, doesn't it? Let's look at the judge very quickly before we get to the parable, before we get to the widow. Because the judge is really set up as the bad guy here. Uh, He says, I don't fear God or man. I don't fear God or care about men. I don't care. This is really significant. So Jesus in one line has set up this guy to be terrible. And the reason for this is because what he says here, I fear neither God nor care about man, is it's a violation of the double love command. So fear your God, with love your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like those are the most important laws there are, and he violates both of them. So he's really set up as the bad guy. He's a very compelling adversary in this story. And so it makes sense that if he's the bad guy, then presumably the widow is like the good guy in the story. Also, generally speaking in the New Testament, when widows are mentioned, they are kind of venerated. Jordan spoke a few weeks ago about the widow Anna, the prophetess that spoke over um, that spoke over Jesus when he was dedicated in the temple. Last week I mentioned the widow in the temple who gave her last 
pennies. Usually when we hear about the widows, we hear about them being powerless. And we really hear about Jesus stating the importance of protecting widows. This comes up an awful lot. The law is not particularly kind to widows. Generally speaking, when someone's husband died, they would be relegated to a much more subservient role within the family. They did have the option to return to their original family, but that could only happen if their new family returned the dowry that they received for taking her into the house. And unsurprisingly, families weren't super chill about giving a whole chunk of money and also losing someone that they could have as a servant. As a result, widows are mistreated fairly often. They're definitely lower uh, in that kind of caste system. Generally speaking, when we see that word widow, often in the New and Old Testament, we kind of think that they're powerless. And if they're powerless, we assume that God is on their side. And that is very often the case, how God elevates those who have no power themselves. But, and this is what I think is so fascinating about this parable. I think we're missing something if we assume the same. Because remember, parables are where Jesus subverts expectations. Jesus flips the script in parables all the time. Parables are a place where tax collectors are righteous. Parables are a place where Samaritans are the good guy. Parables are a place where wealthy landowners are actually generous Parables are a place where things often are kind of upside down. And so we should ask ourselves, well, is that the case with widows too? Can widows be powerful instead of powerless? Could widows be vengeful instead of long-suffering? Here's a piece that I learned this week. There's quite a lot of examples in history around that time of widows owning property, of actually having a kind of stake in society. And so whilst for the most part it wasn't great to be a widow, if we assume that all widows everywhere have no power at all, this is problematic and we kind of remove agency from them and it's important for us not to do that. Because it really seems like this widow that Jesus is talking about isn't powerless at all. She seems to at least have enough resources in herself to keep on badgering this judge. I mean, that wasn't a particularly easy thing to be doing. And she's not meek either. And this is, this is so important. It's so important that we, we spend time in the Word and we spend time really studying and getting to know this stuff and even looking at different translations and looking at why different people say different things about why they have translated things the way that they have. Because we see this line, and uh, my PowerPoint isn't working at all now, so we'll see. Uh, oh, there we go. We see this line, grant me justice over my adversary, which seems like the kind of thing that God would do. Like, well, God is a God of justice. We see this all the time. But what's really interesting is that that word justice translates far better as vengeance. So this widow, instead of asking for justice, she's asking for vengeance. 
And just in case you'll need a little reminder, Jesus doesn't speak too positively about vengeance. Turning the other cheek may be the most famous thing that he's ever said. Kind of speaks against that. Here's another piece that gives us a little bit more insight into this. That when the judge finally changes his mind, this judge who, remember, neither fears man nor God, it's not because of like some selfless reason. It's not that he's seen how hurt she is and his heart melts. We translate, again, like we translate this as like this, oh, that's weird. (laughs) So the slideshow is completely messed up, so just ignore that, I guess. Um, (laughs) So she says this line, grant me justice against my adversary, and he says, this widow keeps bothering me. But that's like the most like boring translation there could possibly be. This widow keeps bothering me. It's actually, the word there, it's a, it's a boxing term. It literally means she's going to punch me below the eyes. Like, <laughs> so isn't this really interesting? This widow who we think is like meek and powerless is actually like vengeance-filled and really violent too. So the reason the judge changed his mind is not because she's bothering him. It's because he's like fearing that he's going, she's going to attack him which I think is far more interesting. So this judge, who, remember, neither cares nor God nor man, this judge is compelled by pretty bad means, by someone motivated by the things that Jesus says we shouldn't let motivate us. The widow isn't great, the judge is definitely worse, but he still listens to her. And I think that is the key to unlocking understanding this parable. That we fumble around for so long trying to work out whether or not God is an unjust judge or trying to work out how we're widows. I think we've missed the point. The point is that this vengeful, frightening woman like bullies this judge in the least loving way and he still listens to her. And that's the point. The point is no matter how rotten our motivations, no matter how broken our words or our thoughts, that God still listens to us. Jesus tells us in the first line that we should pray and not give up, even when our words and our thoughts are ugly, that we shouldn't stop. (laughs) That's hard, right? That's really hard. That's really hard sometimes, and I feel bad just giving this advice knowing that I'm not particularly good at it myself a lot of the time. But there's a few reasons that we can find it hard to follow through with this. And, and the first, actually, I think, is that we kind of make prayer more exhausting than we need to. We go to God when we feel like everything is on top of the world and we want to sing those praises from the rooftop or when everything has come crashing down and we need to like fall on our knees before him in uh, repentance and sorrow and anguish. And, and so it can be hard to connect because there's like so much to, to, so much in the way of that, those crazy highs and those crushing lows. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes, I don't know about you, th- things are just a bit like meh, like in that middle ground. And in that middle ground is often where I find it most difficult to connect with God. So what does it look like to try and bring God into those places, into those middle grounds, so that we do pray without ceasing and not just when things are amazing or things are terrible? 
Because the nature of relationship is that it keeps going regardless of how exciting or like how bland things are, that we keep that conversation moving. It doesn't require everything to be some huge declaration. Because relationship isn't like that either. Our relationship with God is that. It's a relationship. And I think we can talk to him the way we do our friends. One of the most beautiful pieces of scripture I've, you know, stumbled into again lately is where it says in chapter 33 verse 11 of exodus that the lord would speak to moses face to face as one speaks to a friend now hilariously this is the picture they have and like if this is how you talk to your friends i'd really encourage you to uh like think about the way you're talking but the bible says he talks to us as he would do a friend art might say something different But sometimes that greatest comfort and that security is found in those little things. Uh, I'm not married, but but a question for you married people out there, I suppose. Like, what's the first thing that you say when you greet each other at the end of the day of work? Is it, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Turn away your eyes from me for they overwhelm me. Because, you know what, That's, you don't, excellent. Um, Lil's overwhelming eyes apparently are too much for Bill. Um, <laughs> and so whilst there's beauty and truth in this poetry, and it's really important, and it's great, and we can talk to God like this, and we can talk to our loved ones like this, that's not how we talk most of the time. We probably just ask how the day went, right? Isn't that more likely, hey, how was the day? How was transport? And the thing is that God cares about those things too. Jesus tells them this parable that they should pray and not stop. Not because of the huge things, or not just because of the huge things, not just because of the hurts or the triumphs, but because God wants to be intimately involved in every part of your week and every part of your being and what you're doing. Remember, if a bad judge listens to a violent woman, how much more does your heavenly father delight in hearing from you? Always pray, don't give up. I sometimes struggle to to think that people really want to hear from me, which is awkward given what I do on a weekly basis. Um, (laughs) But the reality is, and and the reality is that God wants to hear from us. He always wants to be in conversation with us. And it's always been that way since, since the very, very beginning. The first time that God is wounded in the Bible, the first time we hear about this is when he goes to speak to people and they don't want to speak back. When he goes to speak to them and they hide from him. Uh, Genesis 3, really early on, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden and in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And we know (laughs) probably what plays out after that. But isn't that fascinating? The first time that God is really wounded is because people didn't want to continue that conversation with him. We see the wounding that hiding from God does to both God and to people.
but we are Christians, and that means we have Jesus. And one of the great joys is knowing that Jesus enjoyed conversations so much that he decided, you know what, I'm going to go hang out with the Christians. Sorry, no, not hang out with the Christians. That's terrible. Go hang out with people. He went to hang out with people regardless of what they believed or knew. He went to hang out with people and walk around as one of us because God's desire to be in communication and community with us is that he got so close that people could no longer hide those pieces from him. They couldn't hide the bits they were ashamed of. They couldn't hide the things that they got wrong. And they couldn't help but share their joys as well. And even in the everyday, every single piece, think about all those conversations Jesus had that we don't hear about. Just those mundane things that, yeah, maybe weren't so significant that we'd be reading about them for thousands of years afterwards, but may well have meant the world of difference in just gentle conversation with people he met along the way. I really do think that we miss the joy that Jesus clearly gets from his communication with the people that he meets. Remember, the thing that he's kind of most criticized for, and one of the things that gets him killed in the end, is this community that he builds around himself, that people are drawn to him because he so enjoys communicating with them. So if a bad judge listens to a violent widow, how much more do we think Jesus loves hearing from us? This has always been God's desire right from the very beginning. And understand that Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that triune God have been speaking words of love about us, around us, to us, over us since the dawn of time and will not stop ever. And, and sometimes when we really tune our ears to it, we get to join in that conversation too. That's what prayer looks like at its most beautiful, at its most exciting, that we get to join in the conversation that's already happening about us by the one who loves us so completely. That conversation doesn't stop, and it's happening regardless of whether we listen to it or not. But I'll be honest, I'm I'm pretty good at drowning that conversation out a lot of the time. So I wasn't quite sure where to, where to finish this sermon. Uh, and, and one of the reasons I was having difficulty working out where I should finish is because I've been quite distracted by the 48 hours of prayer that are going to be coming at the end of this week from Friday to Sunday. And so I pray like, God, you know, what, what do I need to be talking about? Like, what's, what's the end of this? You know, you, you want people talking to you, and I think I've got that, and the parable's confusing, and hopefully I've explained that, but what do I leave them with? And he said, well, James, you know, there is the 48 hours of prayer. And I said, yeah, I know, God, that's next, next, next Friday, but, like, I need something for Sunday, you know? I need something now. And God's like, yeah, so how about that 48 hours of prayer? And I was like, yeah, that's going to be a great time, God. But I just don't think it's relevant. <laughs> And then I met up with Laura, and Laura's like, you know, you could talk about the 40 hours of prayer. I'm like, Laura, you don't get it. Like, I need something else for this Sunday. It is really good that we have a very patient God sometimes. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, wait, God, like, that's it? You want me to talk about, like, how prayer is good? And <laughs> I don't hear God that clearly that often. But he's like, oh, I'm sorry, James. Is that not good enough for you? And I was like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> Thank you.
So maybe God wanted me to talk a little bit about the prayer space next weekend. Let's go with that. Because I will say we've, we've done this two times before now, and I know that it's been a really wonderful experience for everyone that's, that's taken part in it. And if it comes across that like I'm trying to guilt you into signing up, it's, it's really not my intention. I just I want to remind you about those words of love and encouragement that are constantly being spoken over you by the one who loves you most. And, and I want to help you get to a place where you're most able to tune into that conversation. You know, I don't know. Y- y'all are like older than me. You know, like when TVs, you had to like run around with an aerial to like <laughs> to make sure it was in the right place. That's that's kind of how I feel about this. That that in this space, it's when I feel most attuned to that conversation, where I'm most able able to hear those words. I remember the first ever prayer room I went to about 10 years ago when I was really still reasonably new to Christianity. And those of you that know me will know the idea of being kind of locked in a room by myself for a couple of hours is, yeah, I mean, it's solitary confinement. It's basically a cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, but I did it because they really needed someone to sign up for this slot. But, but I remember it so vividly and and how exciting it was to be in a room that the the walls were just like drenched in prayer like you could feel it it was thick in the air and that was one of the most exciting things for my christian walk at that point and so the reason i'm excited about this is because it's exciting for me and the reason i want to like encourage you to do it is because it's been such an encouragement for me and i I constantly talk about restaurants that I like going to, so I feel I should probably talk about like prayer spaces that I've enjoyed being in as well. I know that some people can find it really difficult to know like what to pray and how to pray and what that might look like. Um, but one of the really great things about the prayer space is that we've been very intentional in providing lots of different ways for people to pray. Because some people are able to tune into that that beautiful conversation through drawing and through like expressing themselves in that way. And some people are more able to do it through reading. Some people are more able to do it through looking at the incredible art and the talents and gifts of others. And some people need a place to connect when things are, when things are falling apart and, and we don't really know what to say, and they need a space to lament. And, and we're going to make sure that we have that space too, to know there's a place where Jesus sees us and loves us, even though those feelings don't come easy sometime. And some of us need to remember there's a lot to be thankful for. I know that usually puts me in a better mood. I'm like, oh, I have a lot of things, actually. (laughs) And being able to share that gratitude with God and and even with others is a really exciting place for me. And some people might really need to just rest. Like, no one's recording this. No one's timing you. But some people might actually just need to rest. And the space of that, too, the space for all these things, wherever you're at, just remember that God wants to keep that conversation going, wants you to be part of that conversation. An awful judge listens to a vengeful woman. How much more excited do you think God is to hear from you? How much do you think God has his ears tuned to you? So like, I guess that's my conclusion 
<laughs> that, that y'all should pray. <laughs> I am a pastor. I think I probably wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't believe that. Uh, but I really would love it if you guys were able to make use of the space that we're, we're creating for that. Now, how about in this week, instead of hiding, instead of like pretending things might be better than they are, instead of all the ways and reasons that we don't end up pouring out our hearts to Jesus. Instead, we hear that question, where are you? And we answer it, here I am.